The podcast you are about to hear is the first episode in what was going to be a six-episode second season of Breaking the Digital Spell entitled Notes from the Pandemic. And I say was because even though I was able to make significant progress on most of these episodes, I wasn't going to be able to finish writing and recording them during the window of time that I had to get these out. This past spring and summer, as I am sure is the case for many of you, ended up being far busier and crazier than I could have predicted. Of those six episodes, this episode was the one that felt the most complete, and after showing it to some people and getting some feedback, I felt that this one was worth releasing as a standalone episode. However, in this recording, I have included and left in all of the references to this now-canceled second season because I think it provides some additional and helpful context for some of my thoughts and some of the points I'm trying to make. So as you're listening to it, just remember that the second season I reference here is unfortunately not going to be coming. But if you'll stick around till the end of the podcast... I do have some exciting news about the podcast to share with you, and I think you'll be excited to hear. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the asterisk year. This podcast, at least in its first season, owes an incredible debt to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History Podcast. I think it is one of the finest uses of the medium of podcasting and perfectly blends Dan Carlin's abilities as a storyteller and communicator while being deeply informative and educational at the same time. And if I'm able to be just a very cheap discount knockoff of him and what he does at the end of the day, I will be very happy and content. I've listened through his entire series on World War I, entitled Blueprint for Armageddon, several times through. And the first time I listened through it, I learned more about World War I in the 25-plus hours of that series than I had learned in my entire life up to that point. Same with his most recent series, Supernova in the East, which focused on the Pacific theater of World War II, something that doesn't usually get talked about when talking about World War II. But perhaps unknowingly, I'm more indebted to Dan Carlin and his work because if you know anything about hardcore history, you know that he can sometimes take a very long time to release new episodes, sometimes going entire years with only releasing a single episode. And granted, those episodes are three to four hours long and they're insanely well done, but the drought can be real. And as I release this episode nearly three years removed from the release of the last episode of this podcast, I can only chuckle as I realize that maybe the hardcore history influence goes deeper than I thought. One of the themes from that hardcore history series on World War I that I think about often, even though I haven't listened to it in quite a while, still is on my mind often, is the theme of the collision between the old world up to that point and the new world that was emerging and 
would fully emerge once the war was over. At the start of World War I, in its very early stages, you have entire armies operating on strategies and tactics resembling the warfare of past centuries and very quickly realizing these strategies and tactics are no longer going to work. And that unless you want to insist on burning through hundreds of thousands of troops and failed attempts to defend your pride and prove the old ways worked, you had better get with the times and start digging trenches. And while I don't think comparing World War I to the COVID-19 pandemic is a fair or accurate comparison, I do think we have seen and will continue to see a collision between the old world and the new world that continues to emerge, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic as we see the world try to return to some kind of normal, but one that may look different than the previous normal. For many of us who have done work on this subject in some form or fashion, and I mean actual serious work, not hobbyist podcasters like myself, We're having to dig new trenches that many of us thought we would never have to dig and some of us swore we would never dig. And of course, this is not true just for people who write and think about these things, but for every sector of society as a whole. The idea for this episode, and really for this whole season, came while I was reading through Dr. Gene Twinge's absolutely excellent book, iGen. The premise of that book is made clear up front in its absurdly long subtitle, quote, Why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. To the book's credit, that is exactly what you get when you read it. iGen released in 2017 and included a significant amount of original statistical data and research on iGen, or individuals who were born in or after 1995, which is the year the internet became commercially available. This was actually one of the first books I ordered as I began my research for the first season of this podcast, But as my research took some different directions than I expected, I set the book aside at the time. But reading it now, though, nearly three and a half years after its release, it is still remarkably relevant. As someone who works with iGen students on a weekly basis, Dr. Twenge's findings were illuminating, comforting, confusing, and disturbing, sometimes all at once. But as I kept reading it, There was this strange mental tick that occurred whenever I'd come across a key piece of information or a projection of the behavior of iGen teenagers and adults, and eventually I called this mental tick the COVID asterisk. This mental tick, it didn't call into question the way things had been up to 2020 or not even really how things may continue to be after 2020. But it did call into question whether or not 2020 is going to disrupt some of these smooth and linear projections and predictions about the trends of the iGen generation and how we should think about some of those projections going forward. Which trends are going to be exacerbated? Which trends are going to be corrected or blunted? What trends will emerge that are too early to detect? And, like the subtitle of the book asks, What does this mean for the rest of us? COVID-19 disrupted the narrative 
of everyone's life. It also disrupted the narrative of entire industries, research fields, and the history of the nation and of the world as a whole. As the pandemic is hopefully beginning to wind down soon, we can hopefully begin to detail and trace some of the changes that have already occurred in the midst of the pandemic, but at only a year and a half since the pandemic began, it's way too early to detail which changes to society are temporary and which ones are going to stick around. It's also way too early to tell how many of our smooth and linear predictions and projections about our pre-COVID world will end up resuming their charted course and which ones are going to take wildly different directions. And until the crop of post-COVID literature begins to be published, I think the vast majority of us are going to read and think about the kind of material that's available to us with this COVID asterisk. Because none of this literature and research factored in the possibility of a pandemic, much less able to predict that pandemic's effects and impact. But COVID-19, more than disrupting our predictions and narratives, also called into question the way we approach predictions and narratives in our own lives and the way we understand the world as a whole. Each of us probably remembers vividly where they were when they realized that COVID-19 wasn't going away and was about to become a big deal. For me, that process took the span of several days. On Monday, I read news reports beginning to suggest that shutdowns and cancellations in several major U.S. cities were coming. On Tuesday, those reports continued to increase and gain traction. And while taking our puppy out on an evening walk, I told my wife, who is not on social media nor is a news junkie like myself, that this was probably going to become a big deal here in the next couple of weeks. That very next day, on Wednesday, I remember going out to dinner with the youth leaders of our church after our normal Wednesday night services and seeing on multiple wall-to-wall TV screens the NBA's announcement of the cancellation of the rest of the basketball season due to an outbreak of COVID-19 which only opened the floodgates for the endless waves of cancellations or delays or other responses to the coming pandemic over Thursday and Friday. And by the time I went back to work at my prior and former job on Monday, the world had changed, and it was only just the beginning. Looking back on that week a year later, I think my biggest source of shock wasn't necessarily the fact that All of our plans were changing and we were going to have to radically change our lives to keep us safe from this virus. But my biggest source of shock came from having to let go and undo all of the confidence and certainty I had in the way I understood the world and in the way I understood my own life. This shock also came from having to slowly realize that unless a miracle occurs and this pandemic doesn't end up lasting very long, that this likely signals the end of the old world as we knew it and all of the old ways are not going to work anymore. And as we dig new trenches with the way we do our jobs, socialize, shop, rest, and play, that a new world with new ways will emerge from this. And as it unfolds, we will be completely incapable of predicting what this new world will be. 
And again, I don't believe comparing COVID-19 to World War I is necessarily a good comparison, and I'm not trying to suggest that the two are, are comparable. But I do think that the illustration of the old world and the new world with World War I and the old world and the new world with COVID-19 is a helpful illustration to think about these changes. I think one of the biggest similarities between the two is that the normal that the world returned to in both World War I and from this pandemic is going to be different than the normal as we previously understood it, but also not. It's going to be similar in some ways. It's only a question of which ways will stay the same and which ones will change. The only difference is that right now we have the benefit of century of hindsight for one of them, and the other is still unfolding before our eyes. But what was normal before COVID? I'm not asking as though we've forgotten what life was like pre-COVID, but how and in what ways would we describe the normal lives we had prior to the pandemic? Likely, many of us would go on describing our normal lives in terms of the rhythms and routines that we lost our predictable drive to our nine-to-five jobs, weekly sports with the kids, weekend dinner parties with friends, church on Sunday mornings. And generally speaking, yes, those kinds of rhythms and routines were normal for the vast majority of us in some way, shape, or form. But is that all it takes for us to describe our lives as normal, just our rhythms and routines? What about the circumstances within those rhythms, or the location of those routines, or the situations and trials that have come and gone that we have either forgotten about or wish we could forget? How normal was our pre-pandemic normal? Embedded into the word normal is usually an assumption of consistency, stability, or predictability that is used as the standard to determine things that are unusual or abnormal. Things that are normal are things that are done or experienced repeatedly or habitually. Some things are so normal to us that they occur almost on autopilot, without us consciously being aware of what is going on or without us consciously deciding to do something. And it's very true that COVID disrupted many significant things in our lives that we would consider normal because of their consistency, their predictability, and their repetition. But I think if we were to think back over the past several years of our lives, the only truly normal thing about our lives was that our normal was always in flux and changing to some degree or another. No, our sense of normal was not always being turned upside down overnight on a consistent basis, but our sense of normal was likely not as stable as we remember it to be compared to the radical shift in our lives caused by COVID. The biggest difference is that COVID impacted multiple normal things all at once and created this contrast with a significant flux and change relative to the smaller and more subtle ebb and flows of our lives prior to the virus. If our normal was not as stable as we remember it, then what were our lives like before the pandemic? As strange as it is to say, our lives are both forever changed by this virus and our lives are continuing as normal despite the virus. Despite the fact that 2020 felt like the slowest year many of us will ever experience, the year came and went and continued on its course with each rising and setting of the sun. 
even when everything was changing, there was a consistency that our lives were always changing, sometimes in larger ways than others, but always in some kind of change from one state to another. Listen to the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, quote, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sue, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. End quote. Notice how generalized these seasons are. There is a time for each of them, but nothing says how long those times are. Notice, too, that there is nothing preventing these seasons from running concurrently with each other. When the pandemic began, we all collectively entered a season of breaking down our lives and weeping and mourning as we refrained from embracing. Notice that there is no equalizing scope to these seasons. Each of these can be applied to contexts as small as an individual or to as large a context as a nation or any size in between. Notice also that none of these seasons continue on without end. Just as the poetic motif provides for only one hard pause at the very end of the section, the only hard pause any of us will experience to these changing seasons will be our eventual deaths. Outside of that, there will be times that are always coming and going, and times that are always changing. Instability and consistency will, for the most part, ultimately elude us. And on the one hand, this ought to be comforting to us. If there is a season for everything and no season of our lives is truly permanent, then it means our trials and tribulations have an expiration date. We may not know when that date is, and those dates are not uniform for everyone, but whether your trials last a day, a month, a year, or many years, they will eventually end. The inverse is also true. We should not expect that the good times are going to go on forever in this life. We are never going to reach a point where, like Thanos at the end of Avengers Affinity War, we breathe a sigh of relief as we sit down knowing our jobs are done and that we can rest in the stability of what we have attained. And it should be pointed out that Thanos didn't enjoy this station of life for very long himself. Aside from the perishability of life and its goods, it is impossible to hold in your hands your perfect life which can be taken from you in an instant, and no matter how much we may strive, we will never be able to truly recover and return to. While some seasons of our lives will absolutely go on longer than others, seasons of lifelong marriages or successful careers or living in the same town or city, no season goes on indefinitely. Complicating factors, though, is the reality that, for the most part, we're not very good at predicting what the next season of our lives will be. We may have a general sense of changes that are on the horizon as stages or circumstances of our lives end, but there is little guarantee that our idealized visions 
or nightmares of our future seasons will materialize as we hope. Even though we live in an age where predicting the future through statistical research or machine learning or other technological advances is so commonplace it is now the air we breathe, there is still a very firm and strong ceiling on our ability to anticipate what life has in store for us, like a pandemic. We are also not very good at predicting multiple future events that follow us. Mentally, we can only really focus on the next big thing right in front of us and not the next big thing following the most immediate next big thing. Granted, part of that is that the subsequent next big thing is largely predicated on the next big thing that came before it, but part of it is also that if we can't predict the next season of our lives very well, we will almost certainly not be able to predict the subsequent season, and so why bother thinking about it? All we have are the seasons and situations we find ourselves in today, our hopes, dreams, and fears for what the next season brings, with little way of confirming those hopes and dreams or fears ahead of time. And the whiplash of living in a world of constant and unpredictable change can often leave us feeling as though we are on a ship being tossed around by the winds of the sea. This insight is part of the reason why this series is titled Notes from the Pandemic. I actually had written a significant portion of this episode during the spring of 2020, where I had planned to do a brief run of episodes detailing how COVID was causing changes to the way we think about and use technology under normal circumstances. Ultimately, though, I decided to hold off on writing anything because it was too hard to tell what the trajectory of the pandemic was. In the spring, it was inconceivable to me that my Thanksgiving and Christmas traditions would be upended because the pandemic was still going on. But I realized as I was reading through Dr. Twinge's book on the iGen generation that if our world is constantly in flux and our understanding of that world is not as certain or sure as we like to be, no matter how much our technology and media consumption habits reinforce a certainty or uncertainty that we act on, there's never going to be a true opportune time to plan to write about the world. If we wait for the perfect snapshot or freeze frame to write about trends in society or culture, we will never be able to write anything at all because rarely, if ever, does a single moment capture or solidify a moment in time that remains true for very long. And the opposite is also true, where social media and our media age tells us of every single possible change and every single possible what-if scenario that could be. Yes, there will be a changing of the season, but it cannot possibly be every single future scenario that is thrown out to us in the media that we consume today. And really, our writing and research itself is not at fault here. It's our confidence in the certainty of our conclusions and our ability to predict and control the future is the issue at hand here. If, as Solomon wrote, our lives are truly seasonal and governed by constant change, then to think in terms of the old world or the new world, the pre-COVID world versus the post-COVID world, is maybe a reductionistic way to think about our lives. It's not to say that there can't be any truth or insights gleaned from examining the changes this pandemic brought, but sooner or later the changes brought by the pandemic will be upended by changes that come to our world after the pandemic has long ended. 
While it feels as though this season of our lives may never end, like every other pandemic in the history of the world and every other season of our lives, it will eventually come to an end, as will whatever season that follows in its wake. Maybe instead of thinking of 2020 as the asterisk year, the exception to the linear progress of predictable development, maybe we ought to be more general about using our asterisks. Maybe instead of placing our confidence in our ability to understand the trends of the world and predict and control our futures, We distrust our sense of assurance, and we distrust the power that living in such a technologically advanced society brings, and we recognize that despite all of the promises of living in this age, we cannot truly know what events are in store for us. Maybe instead of resting in our ability to plan our years and map out our lives, we should take the posture of James in the letter he writes to the Christians whose sense of normal was upended by persecution and dispersion. Quote, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. Like many of us in the pandemic, I took up a new hobby last year and I have been blessed to discover some incredible communities surrounding this hobby. One of those communities is all about applying lessons learned from hobbies to real life applications. And one of the most impactful and life-changing lessons I've taken away from that is that in order to get good at something, you have to do it badly for a while. And that if something's worth doing, It's worth doing badly until you're able to do it well. It will likely come as a shock to none of you that I struggle with perfectionist tendencies in the things that I am passionate about. And while my perfectionism is not solely to blame for the three-year drought of this podcast, it is an obstacle that I need to overcome. Thus, I am excited to announce that Breaking the Digital Spell will begin releasing standalone episodes on a monthly basis from here on out. If I'm able to do multiple episodes in a month, I will, but my goal for myself is to release something every month, even if it's not as polished or thorough as my perfectionism would like for it to be. In fact, August will actually have a second episode that comes out later in the month, so look forward to that. Credits will vary for each episode, but for this episode, Andrew Akins has provided helpful assistance as co-producer, and Breaking the Digital Spell is produced by me, Austin Gravely. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask you to consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave a review, and share it with anyone you think would enjoy it. If you have any questions about anything I've said or want to reach out to me directly, you can reach out to me through Twitter at gravely underscore Austin or send an email to breakingthedigitalspell at gmail.com. My name is Austin, and together we are Breaking the Digital Spell.